theology in general and particularly this topic this evening. Thank you in this season of epiphany, you revealing yourself to the wider world in Jesus Christ. We pray that as Matt unpacks this passage in Matthew, uh, you would feed us as you speak through him. And Lord, as he speaks, may he know your delight and pleasure of him doing your will, serving you with his gifts in this way. Bless him now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so we're going to be in uh, Matthew 2 today, um, so you probably want to load that up, because uh, the Bible's going to be critical for this. Um, great, so epiphany, uh, I guess an epiphany really is uh, a realisation of something really significant um, or important. Uh, in, in my family at Christmas, I, you've probably all got your own like weird traditions and idiosyncrasies, and one of ours is that um, we... Uh, we don't just like have stockings. We uh, actually come down in the morning, and there's actually a, a cryptic clue um, where, where the stocking once was. Um, and my dad has normally spent the evening before um, with with the good word in front of him, uh, coming up with scripture-based uh, sort of clues to sort of like, oh, I'm the bread of life, and you, you go off to the bread bin. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Dad. Every year, you know. Um, and so often in that scenario, you are reliant on having a, a burst of inspiration and realizing uh, it must be uh, in the tumble dryer. Um, but actually, one, one of the sort of more important epiphanies um, is, is the one we're going to be talking about today. Um, and the epiphany specifically means uh, the realization that the gospel um, was for everyone. And uh, the, uh, the magi, um, the wise men, sort of not the three kings, um, uh, came specifically uh, for people to realize um, that Jesus was there to be worshipped um, by everyone. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So, um, yeah, we're in, a, we're in Matthew 2, we're on page 914 um, in the Green Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Why don't we just uh, pray again? Uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We um, declare that your presence is um, absolutely welcomed here. And we want you to speak to us. We want you to change our hearts. We want us to you to make us more like Jesus through understanding him uh, and what he came for more closely. Amen. Um, great. So 
Yeah, just to dig in then, um, Epiphany, why, why are we talking about it still? Well, Christmas has sort of come and gone for, for most of us now, and we're sort of back into um, uh, careers, which I'm sure we're really excited to be going back to. Um, but actually, in, in the story um, of Jesus' birth, uh, the Magi actually came along a little bit later, um, and, and as a result, here we find ourselves a couple of weeks after Christmas, um, called to reflect upon uh, this passage, called to reflect upon uh, why it's not just uh, Jews in Israel um, believing in, in this message, um, but it's uh, people in Parsons Green as well. Um, so, so really, I suppose this evening, there's sort of three things I really want us to think about. Uh, firstly, who is the gospel for? Uh, and secondly, why do we need it? Uh, and thirdly, what do we expect it to change? And uh, sort of spoiler alert, um, really, the gospel is for everyone. And why do we need it? We need it because without it, we are completely lost. Um, and what's it going to change? Well, it should change everything in us that's not of God. Um, but that's a slow journey at times. So first of all, the gospel being available to all. How do we find this uh, in Matthew's gospel? I suppose um, if you go back slightly earlier, uh, a lot earlier in the Bible, what you find in, in Exodus 6, 7, I think uh, in the sort of covenant-themed um, talks we were having, if you were here last term, um, this, this, this verse came up, Exodus 6, 7, says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the yoke, uh, under the yoke of the Egyptians. So pretty early on in the Bible, we, we get a really clear message that um, God, or as he was known, made himself known to Moses, Yahweh, uh, the great I am, um, was specifically calling the people of Israel um, to be his people and, and specifically telling them that their identity was, was always going to be with reference to who he was, that you will be my people and I will be your God. Um, and that, they, and that therefore what we see early on in the Bible is, um, okay, here's where the story's starting. Um, but at the moment, like me as a, as a guy in, in London, I, I don't know where I step into that. So we then come to, to Matthew's gospel. And if you just turn back um, to chapter one, um, you'll see, uh, often gets sort of like zipped over. And, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time reading through the genealogies here. Um, it can be a bit dry, but... Um, but actually, if you really have a look at it, this is a little bit like Hebrews and the sort of Hall of Fame um, of sort of like legends of the Bible. So you've got like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, um, Solomon, his son, um, Hezekiah, who was, you know, um, one of the greatest uh, kings, um, all the way through um, to Joseph. And you also have characters in there uh, like Rahab, um, who, who was a prostitute. Um, and you, again, you get Mary mentioned at the end of that as the wife of Joseph, which, you know, again, um, it's really unusual for, for women like these to be cropping up uh, in this sort of time and frame. So it's really clear that Jesus was being born into a really thoroughly Jewish world um, of great um, and complex and broken um, men and women um, who were Yahweh's chosen people. So I suppose the question is, where does this start to take us to? In, uh, in verse 21, um, you'll see that uh, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to, this is to Joseph, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then we read, she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so I don't know, I don't know about you, but if, 
If you've read chapter one and you then get to that verse, Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins. I suppose you can be left in a place of knowing, not knowing like whether you're part of those people. Are you part of that story? Um, and that's really almost where we get to at the end of chapter one in Matthew is that we know that Jesus has come uh, to achieve something extraordinary um, for, for humanity, for salvation history, but maybe not quite knowing where we sit within that. And so we get to chapter two. Um, and look at this, in, uh, in, in verse two, we hear that the Magi arrive and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so I, I think this is really interesting because it's the first time in the New Testament where we see that tension of Jesus is king of the Jews and yet these men who um, were probably, we know not Jewish, were from further east somewhere and we don't know much about them, found it acceptable. They didn't find it problematic that they were called to worship him such that they traveled uh, based on some knowledge of the stars um, and as we see in, in verse 6, um, a bit of a prophecy from Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's specific, but it's not that much for them to go off. Um, and yet they still found that they could bring themselves to this place with uncertainty and say, who is this, who is this king of the Jews? Um, we want to worship him. And I guess really this starts to bring back to mind, um, if you've read Isaiah, there are some, some amazing verses in there. And Isaiah 42 is um, particularly, particularly sweet spot. Uh, it says, uh, in verses 6 and 7 of that, say, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So I think there was probably an awareness of this in these wise men, in these magi. Um, I think that they knew that Israel were the people of God, but that Israel were to be a light to people like them. And we can see they're calling out the Jewish scriptures here in verse 6, and they're saying, like, there is truth in that, and we are here, and we are ready to worship this baby who's just in a little house in, in, in Bethlehem. And so I suppose my encouragement in, in answering that first question of like, who is the gospel for? Is the gospel is, is literally for everyone. There is no sort of set of uh, conditions or criteria as to whether uh, Jesus has an interest in, in your life. Um, and actually, if you, if you hear that, um, I really encourage you actually just to dismiss that as, a, as like a lie from the enemy because it, it's not true. Um, this, this Jesus has come for everyone, uh, the least and the last. And, and John 3.16, I, I guess, you know, really gets us there, doesn't it? In terms of God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I guess we're all really familiar with that verse, or a lot of us will be familiar with that verse. But, but think about that. God gave his one and only son. His, his only son was in obscurity, um, in, in a tiny little hovel uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, the shepherds have, have come and gone, and, and he's just there, uh, vulnerable. So that whoever believes in him, not whoever is Jewish and believes in him, but whoever believes in him, 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this, this Jesus has come for all of you. And, and secondly, uh, to talk about what, why do we need that though? Why, why is he here? Um, why is it significant that Jesus has come for all of us? Uh, I guess I want to say uh, that it is necessary for all of us. And, and actually, uh, we just need to stop maybe and have a look at our hearts before we go a bit further. Um, I don't know if any of you um, still bother watching uh, the, the Apprentice. Uh, I, I, I watched it a bit at school, and I like uh, uh, my mum. Like occasionally, if I'm home, will like make me watch an episode because she still thinks it's like extremely compulsive viewing, uh, and I'm co- convinced it's not. And so there was some absolute bile uh, chatted on it, um, and just like a couple of quotes from that um, that I think give a bit of an insight into why we need Jesus. Um, and on, honestly, like, there were like hundreds of quotes that I could have, could have gone to for this. But there are two types of people in the world, winners, and, and I don't know how to say the word. I can't, I can't say it. Well, I pride myself on not having any negative or bad traits about myself. They're all good. They're all positive. Which I thought sounded a little bit, little bit Trumpy, didn't it? Um, or I'm going to throw people under the bus. I'm going to throw people over the bus. I'm going to get on the bus, take the wheel, and get that investment from Lord Sugar. It's, like, it's absolutely stunning, isn't it? It's, just, it's extraordinary. Um, but I suppose really, uh, all that really is, is a magnification of the human ego. It's just a magnification. People are playing up to um, this sort of image of uh, what it means to win in this world. Um, and they're exaggerating that for, for effect and get on the program. Um, But actually, uh, when we go back to this passage, I think we probably start to see um, that there's an element of that in in all of our hearts. Um, If you have a look at the third verse of Matthew chapter uh, chapter 2, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So so what's clear here is, um, and this is something I, to be honest, not spotted before, um, I've often thought of Herod as like a guy in the corner um, who uh, is just really mean and grumpy and intimidated by everyone and, um, and just wants to kill everyone. And I think there's some, a lot of truth in that. But, but notice this says, and all Jerusalem with him, that actually um, the arrival of these magi saying, the king of the Jews is born in this place, um, uh, and implied in that is, it's not you, Herod, sorry, mate, uh, is actually unbelievably com- controversial and the fact that actually the people in Jerusalem um, as a whole were disturbed by this message uh, I think is really really important I think it shows that Jesus perhaps wasn't exactly the Messiah that people thought he was going to be um, he wasn't necessarily the type of savior that they expected they maybe expected someone to come brandishing a sword on day one and wipe out the Romans and reclaim the land um, but he, he hasn't done that. He's a baby. He's a, he's a baby. Um, and, and Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned uh, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I guess my challenge to you today is, do you have a level of identification with the person of Herod? On, on some level, is there pride in your heart that makes you not want to completely make Jesus Lord of your life? Is there like a degree to which you're, you're happy to accept that he was a good guy? Maybe you're happy to believe that he was the son of God, but maybe you're not happy to believe uh, that he came b- 
because you're totally broken and you're full of potential and you're, you're full of goodness, but, but you're broken and you need fixing. Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. And I think there's real, real wisdom in that. I think that so often I can go to um, the Bible or I can go to the person of Jesus, I can go to the Christmas message and I can approach it with, what am I willing to learn from this? What am I willing to be challenged by? It, rather than taking a stance of, I, I am nothing before you, Jesus. You are everything. And, and I humble myself before you and I want you to teach me. And so I guess really where that gets us to is um, a sense that why has Jesus come? Well, Jesus has come because we, we really, really need him. And um, maybe just as I carry on speaking, just encourage you, um, you know, just to ask God to maybe pinpoint uh, areas in your life where you're not quite letting him be um, the Lord of your life. And then thirdly, um, you know, what does this mean? What does this change? Um, and I really believe, and I wrestle with this in my life, but I really believe that this good news like changes everything. Um, and uh, I, I guess we, we all have those Christians that we know who, um, who look like they're more transformed than we are. And it can feel like, a, it can feel like there's real areas of gray. Um, and so what are the certain things that we hang on to? Well, I guess I wanna take us back to this passage and say, um, these kings, uh, they're not kings, sorry. Oh, I knew I was gonna do that. These wise men, these magi, uh, they, they knew that there was something about this child being born in Bethlehem. But they didn't have all the answers. They didn't have total certainty. But they arrive, and, and you can see this in the passage, they arrived, um, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these, these, uh, these magi are, are, are pretty wealthy, and certainly um, for their time and place, um, educated, respected. The fact that King Herod brings them before him is an indication that... Um, they've got a level of credibility. That the fact that they can command that audience in that sort of space would have said a lot. And what happens? What happens when they come before Jesus? On coming to the house, they saw the, mother with his, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. So um, I, I want us to be willing to bow down and worship him. I, I want to be more willing to bow down and worship him. Um, I think if, if we're all more willing to bow down and worship him, then we will see uh, like a, an absolute wave of transformation in where we live uh, and in this nation that I think desperately needs it. So, so you know, transformation, it changes who we are um, and, and it also allows us to then change the world. I, I guess I just want to dwell specifically on the, the gifts that they bring to Jesus. Um, look at that in verse 11. They bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, from which the, uh, the myth of the three kings emerges. Um, gold, what, what would gold be for? Well, gold would be for a king. Gold's indicative of, of wealth and sovereignty, and you would have your, your crown made out of that. Uh, frankincense would be a fragrant um, sort of like incense um, that a priest would often wear in the temple. And, and myrrh would normally be used as a sort of uh, anointing for burial. 
What we actually have in these gifts that the uh, wise men have brought, perhaps not knowing uh, the full sort of canon of scripture, um, is actually a really concise bundle of the different elements of Jesus as a, as a Messiah. Firstly, that he is king. We see that in, in, uh, in chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2, that they know that he is the king of the Jews. And many people expected a kingly Messiah to come and save the world. Well, Jesus was a king, and he was of the line of David, um, but he wasn't quite the king that people expected. And secondly, frankincense. J Jesus was a priest. Um, Jesus came to bring us into um, that place of intimacy with God, to tear down the curtain that would be in the temple, as happens when he dies, and to draw us into relationship with him without anything in between. So Jesus was a priest, but he, he wasn't a conventional priest. And thirdly, uh, the um, myrrh. Uh, if you go back to Isaiah and you look at um, chapter 53, um, there's this suffering servant image where it talks about um, the, the saviour being uh, pierced for our transgression, transgressions and, and by his stripes, i.e. The, the whips that Jesus received, uh, we are healed. Uh, let, let's believe that. Let's believe that we are healed by the stripes that Jesus was to go on to suffer. But I guess what I want to take from that is um, that, that Jesus is just totally worthy. And he's worthy because he fits this king and priest and uh, sacrificial leader. Um, so he fits the Jewish idea, but he also fits with the kings. He fits with their idea of someone who they can come before and recognize as an authority figure and are willing to fall down before in worship. And the last thing I really want to challenge on that is um, they're doing that before they've seen any of the rest of Jesus's ministry. And we're really, really privileged that we have the whole Bible, uh, that we get to know sort of how the story ends and actually how the story's like going to end as well when Jesus returns. But they're doing it without that. They're coming on, the, on, on what's like not much more than a sort of slightly more credible horoscope, uh, arriving in Bethlehem and uh, following a star and falling down before him and they're willing to worship him as a baby. They, they don't know that he's going to do healings and they don't even know perhaps that he's going to um, be crucified in front, of his, in front of his own followers. And they don't necessarily know that he's going to rise from the dead. And yet even in that, they worship him. So, so I guess really to summarize that, um, they're, they're willing to worship him. Are we willing to worship him, knowing what we know of him as we do? Because if we do that, um, we're recognizing firstly that Jesus has come for everyone. We're, we're then secondly recognizing that he's come because we've got a deep, deep need. And, and thirdly, we're recognizing that in that um, we can truly transform. Um, firstly, we will be transformed into his likeness. And secondly, uh, the world might start to get back into, into his image. And so I suppose I want to challenge you. Firstly, is the birth of this child on, on its own as an event uh, enough to bring you to your knees in worship? Um, and secondly, do you believe in your heart that, um, that Jesus is totally available, that he's totally necessary and that he's totally transformational, that he came for each and every one of you because you need him uh, and in order that there might be transformation in our world? So um, 
why don't we just um, have a little bit of quiet. Um, I think actually the way I'd really like us to respond to this is um, if you believe uh, that you need to reorientate yourself um, and fall down on your knees before Jesus and say, you are the Lord of my life. I am not the Lord of my life. Um, I'd actually really like, um, as, as the band come up, I'd actually really like to encourage you um, to make, uh, I guess, a brave step of, of coming forward um, and, and maybe just being on your knees at the front here, just as a sign that this is a safe space. We are a corporate, collective family of believers with an incredible truth, um, and we're not ashamed of one another seeing that. Um, so I want to encourage, um, if this has struck a chord with you, perhaps it's for the first time, um, or perhaps it's for the thousandth time, but that you want to symbolically say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, um, then I think come forwards. And I think specifically, um, there, there's sort of two areas where um, I, I really think this is relevant. I think it can be firstly on the, am I worthy? Like, you know, wh wh why has Jesus really come for me? So, so maybe it's on that side of not feeling valued uh, and finding it hard then to believe that someone would die for you. Alternatively, it could be, and I'm more often falling to this camp, uh, of pride and being unwilling to humble yourself and to say, I, I truly need him in, in every part of my life. So I think particularly if you find yourself in those two camps uh, and you want to um, make that gesture, um, then I'd just like to encourage you to start coming forward. Um, and uh, in due course, we, we might have some people come and pray, um, uh, but we'll, we'll just do that for now. So if that's you, then I'd love to see it. And Father God, um, we just thank you so much for, um, yeah, for Jesus, for that incredible gift, uh, the gift that goes beyond, uh, I guess, the Christmas period. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you have seen our deepest need. Thank you so much that, yeah, Father, I thank you so much that you were not afraid to reach out to us. Would you send your Holy Spirit now in power? Would you send, send your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we might know you more? And we just wait for you.